Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into another episode of Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. It's been a tough year, 2020, and this has been a particularly difficult week. Normally, we begin our show with what's new, what's good, but to be honest, there's there's not a lot of good going on right now. There's been a lot of tough news, and first and foremost, Ralph, uh, my condolences go out to you. We lost some real icons this uh, last few days between Hall of Fame coach John Thompson, uh, NBA All-Star Clifford Robinson, uh, another Hall of Fame coach and Lute Olson, uh, the great Chadwick Bozeman. Uh, a lot of these men you got to know over the course of your entire life. So, I, I, you know, I'm I'm sorry. I was thinking of you when this news came in. Yeah, thanks so much. I was, you know, definitely excited about today's show with uh, our, our guests. But when you have to understand the lay of the land across the country and world, when people like Lute Olson, which uh, – I never played against Coach Olsen, uh, but I built a relationship with him through the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we became, you know, like coaching player and I know his wife. And I talked to them the other day as well. And then, you know, Cliff, Clifford Robinson as well, you know, didn't play against him, but know of him uh, playing with the uh, Portland Trailblazers and that crew as well. And you reflect back on different things that happens over the course and period of time of your career. And then with the iconic now in John Thompson, that, uh, you know, he recruited me uh, and came wow. to my parents' house, which we reflect on our next next episode. Yeah. But also playing an iconic game against Patrick Ewing in the game of the century, which is uh, very, very uh, uh, just heartfelt for me as well. We'll talk more about that as well. But again, knowing these guys after you play, you know, through contacts or events or Hall of Fame events, I mean, Coach Thompson and I would see at the final four and I would run across the court just to say hello to him and sit there and talk to him. And he would always say, Hey, big fella, they don't give seven footer the coaching job. You can't become a head coach. <laughs> if you see Alan Iverson's uh, quotes on his social media, he'll say, Hey, AI. And he'll say F word basically. And how you doing? You know? So he was very, very uh, candid. He was very, very um, just spoken I can't say enough about him to speak his word, speak what's on his mind, but also heartfelt. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, rest in peace, Coach Thompson, but uh, look forward to our next week's show to be able to get more in depth into what a person like John Thompson means to me, but also means to basketball as well. 
That's right. As Ralph mentioned, we're going to get into that on next week's episode. We've lost too many incredible figures in this year, uh, so we want to take an episode to reflect on so many legends that we have lost in 2020. And unfortunately, we're we're only nine months in, so we, so we still got three more months to get through this. But uh, thank you for those words and uh, uh, some memories about John Thompson. Both him and Lou Olson really were father figures to so many men uh, in college and many who went on to great success in the NBA. And uh, uh, pretty amazing that Patrick Ewing now uh, is the coach at Georgetown in those shoes. I can only imagine what he's going through on a day like today. Well, you got to, I mean, all the players, Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, Alan Iverson, Nikembe Mutombo, uh, and the list goes on yeah. um, that Coach Thompson not only coached them, but made them, you know, good citizen and, and, and real rounded men after basketball. So we'll definitely get involved with that. But like I said, the camaraderie with these guys after the fact, after the playing days, I mean, imagine Coach Thompson was a, hero basically of other people that played against him chris mullen i, mean, yeah. I spoke to him this morning as well like okay he's they made the big east mm-hmm. you know there wasn't such thing when i was recruited by coach thompson at the big east mm. uh, but they made the big east what it was and the rest is history yeah well and it lives on forever because he is a hall of famer and that's what today's episode is about we have someone everyone's heard of the basketball hall of fame but we have someone that you don't know the, the face and the, the voice and the man behind the Hall of Fame, John DeLiva, the president and CEO of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, we have a great conversation with him coming up in just a few moments. Uh, he's been there as president since 2001, and he's seen the Hall of Fame and Museum through some turbulent times, but nothing like what he's experienced over the last six months uh, of 2020, what was going to be a monumental year for the Hall of Fame. And as we're all dealing with the realities of this year in 2020, they're dealing with it too. And and he'll get into that. But uh, one thing that he does mention in this interview, which you'll hear, is that, you know, the Hall of Fame, it it does live on forever. It lasts forever. And the legacies of Lou Olson and, uh, and John Thompson will live on forever when people go and visit the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he says about a lot of that because the Hall of Fame, I mean, I was in the Hall of Fame when I was in high school and it was a little bitty house on the yeah. side of a road where they had some high school players and they had a cutout of me, a seven foot four figure, uh, with saying, boy, Derek Menefield, Charlie Hurt, you know, James Worthy, Cortella. We were all high school, Hall of Fame, high school, all Americans, but mm-hmm. uh, the Hall of Fame did do that. But from that building to the building today that they transitioned in the early 20, you know, early uh, 20s, uh, 2000s, I should say. And um, from where they were to where they are now, it's, it's amazing to see and it's only going to get better. So I'm definitely looking forward to this interview. It's going to be fun. You know, nearly 200,000 people visit the Hall of Fame Museum uh, each year. I remember the first time I visited it. It is a cathedral for basketball. Uh, It represents, celebrates the game at every level, men and women, amateur and professional, coaches, contributors, both domestically and internationally. Ralph, we're on a a Hall of Fame streak here. We've had a lot of Hall of Famers on the podcast. The great Nancy Lieberman, Andy Bernstein, the amazing photographer. He's in the Hall of Fame as a contributor. Now we've got the president of the Hall of Fame. Of course, you are a legendary Hall of Famer. I don't know. Is this enough? Just Hall of Fame by association? Maybe John will let me slide Uh, in. Or at least free admission to the museum. They they do have um, 
not only contributors, but they have media. Okay. So it, it has, you know, just got bigger and bigger every year, not just basketball players, but people that love the game of basketball. So you, you got a few more years. You may be able to make it there. <laughs> I'm still in my like rookie season over here. I got a ways to go for sure. We got, we got many more podcasts to do before uh, I'm a hall of famer, but I'm, uh, I'm just lucky to be associated with a hall of famer like you and today's guest, John DeLiva, the president and CEO of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Let's bring him on and let's talk Hall of Famers. John, thank you so much for joining us here on Center Court. We really appreciate your time. And let's first start. This has been a crazy year for everyone, but definitely for you as uh, president and CEO of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame and Museum. How are you doing, first and foremost? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on. And I love to talk about the Hall of Fame. I always love to see Ralph Sampson. He's so supportive of, of all of our events um, and always a pleasure, even if it's by Zoom, yeah, exactly. uh, to by see Zoom him. Today. So thank you for having me. So this was going to be the year of years for the Basketball Hall of Fame uh, pre-COVID. We had uh, a lot of great things that were happening. I, I have notes from uh, in my head from my first staff meeting just after the first of the year in January. And um, we had an enshrinement ceremony that was going to be like none other. Uh, it was going to be Kobe Bryant. And of course, the first week in January, Kobe was, was still with us uh, before the unfortunate tragedy. Uh, Tim Duncan, uh, Kevin Garnett, uh, and others. And it really was going to be a tremendous, tremendous enshrinement. Uh, and believe it or not, today would have been the first day of the enshrinement ceremonies, uh, which we had to uh, we put off until October. And then finally, we had to, to say it can't be done in this calendar year. So we have moved that off to May of next year, uh, mid-May of 2021, and that'll be the class of 2020. Uh, and then our thinking right now is to come back with the class of uh, 2021 in September in our normal time frame. Um, so the class of 2020 was going to be the first big thing. Secondly, we just spent $19 million renovating the museum uh, on the inside, and we're so anxious to show that off in May. Uh, we actually closed in February for the for the last phase of the construction, and then March kicked in, and we had to close all the way through July 8th. So we have a, a brand new museum here um, that not a lot of people are seeing. We we are running at about 35% of of our normal capacity, um, and uh, not because of social distancing. It's because you know there's early adapters, and they uh, not everybody's comfortable coming out, but those that are, are having a great time. Um, but we certainly had high hopes for, for this summer with a new museum. And as Ralph knows, we have a program called 60 Days of Summer, which is uh, bringing celebrities in, authors, uh, clinics. So added value for our visitors. And of course, that couldn't be done this year either. Thirdly, we had uh, a commemorative uh, coin uh, that Ralph was very involved in. And it took three years to get literally through an act of Congress. It was a bill that had to be passed. And it's a coin that celebrates uh, the invention of the game of basketball, celebrates Dr. Naismith's invention. Um, and it was struck in silver, gold, and then clad. And clad is the kind of coins that we walk around in our pockets with. Um, and we were going to introduce that at the final four. Of course, that didn't happen. And we finally introduced that in June. Um, and the response is somewhat muted because of the effects of COVID. 
because a lot of the promotion we were going to be doing around the final four and the remainder of the basketball season really hasn't transpired. And uh, as luck would have it, the price of silver and gold have gone to skyrocketed. So acquiring those for coin collectors is, is uh, difficult in the economic era of COVID. And then lastly, uh, as Ralph also knows, we, we, we have many uh, basketball, collegiate basketball events around the country. Um, and we have Phoenix or LA, we're in uh, Mohegan Sun, we're in New York. Um, and a lot of those had to be um, postponed um, or at least discussed. And one that we had uh, very much looking forward to was our first time in, in Europe was going to be in London. We were going to have Kentucky uh, versus Michigan, and uh, it literally almost sold out in the first three weeks. And we had to move that to 2022. So we had all these great things that were going to happen and then COVID hit. So so what do you do? Like everybody else, you've got to you've got to kind of manage your business and, and decide what your priorities are. Um, we've had cutbacks. We've, we've um, really looking at our business in more of a 18 month calendar than month to month or through the end of the year. We're really saying, how do we survive uh, 2020? Uh, how do we stabilize in 2021? And, and then how do we go back to thriving in 2022? So um, a lot of things going on. Everybody's in the same boat. And, and as I always say, one thing we know for sure, we're not in charge. Yeah, no, no. So I'm going to go back to, because the Hall of Fame is a special, special place. So for those who are listening, haven't been there, you know, I've, I've been obviously, I haven't seen any of the new construction over the last year or so. What are some of the new things that fans will want to come see in your opinion? Because yeah, I, know, so I know it's got to be exciting. I'm yeah. excited to see it. So when we um, opened up, this is our third iteration here in Springfield, Mass. And the reason we're in Springfield, Massachusetts is because the game was invented here by James Naismith back in 1891. Um, when we first opened our third home, which would have been in the year 2002, we were just ahead of the digital era. So a lot of the exhibits that we had were two-dimensional. They were printed word, they were photographs, not a lot of digital interactive that allows people to really dig into uh, a basketball experience. So we've changed all that. And there's a, there's a, a balance between having digital media, which you, know, you interact with much like you do on your phone or what we have here is touchscreen, but also what makes a, a museum um, really click is the artifacts. So we've done this really nice job, I think, of integrating uh, meaningful artifacts and digital content that allows you to really dig into it um, and, and, and find out without, you know, not just, not just two dimensional. So the example I like to give, and my second favorite example is Ralph Sampson, but my first favorite example of, of the difference is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So imagine uh, you are a, uh, you're a 12 or a 14 year old kid, you're coming through with your grandparents or your parents. Uh, and uh, in the old style, the, the parent would call the kid over and, and there'd be a picture of, of uh, of Kareem up on the just a, a sepia tone picture up on the up on the wall, and then there'd be two and a, two and a half paragraphs of information, and and the father or the grandfather would say best center of all time right there, and the kid would look and he'd read and he'd go, I guess so. Now in our new museum, we have content. We're so content rich with Kareem. So let's imagine that still a twelve to fourteen year old kid coming in, goes up to a fifty five inch touch screen. First thing he sees is a picture of Kareem. And that two and a half, three, a better one, but two and a half, three paragraph info. But then you swipe like you do on your phone um, and you see uh, great moments in his career from uh, what I love is, so this 14 year old kid's like, how does Kareem relate to me? 
we have a one minute segment on Kareem playing at Power Memorial when he was 17 years old. I mean, that is just, I mean, that just connects right away. And then you go on to UCLA and then you go on to the Bucks, and then you go on to the Lakers and breaking the scoring record. You can spend, you know, 15 minutes on Kareem. So when that father or grandfather says greatest center of all time, the kid really has a sense of why, why does my dad or granddad feel that way? Um, and that's throughout the museum, all of the exhibits, um, and they're well curated, but they, but they get into detail about, about the game. So we're just so very proud of that. So more interaction, it sounds like more virtual interaction. Um, and I think some of the greatest exhibits, when you walk into the rotunda there in the hall, you see the, the likes of the Elgin Baylor's of the world and uh so very and kareem as well but elgin's near and dear to my heart so you see yep. the iconic guys that were before the kobe's and lebron's and michael's as well you see those so having that interaction to be able to know their history i mean elgin's from virginia so i can go way back with him okay. i read his book and the whole deal yeah but to be able to see it virtually now would be exciting for me to see as well yeah well we can't wait to show you that's for sure but all of the content elgin included there's much more depth um, so everybody has a chance to really celebrate his career beyond that two-dimensional experience. Um, and, and really, that's what the Hall of Fame is all about, is we are, we, you, know, you know, Ralph, when you come back here, the stories. Um, yes. Hall of Famers talking amongst themselves, the stories. So we, we try to tell the stories as, as deeply as we can. And I think we're doing that very well with our, with our new museum. And, and obviously, we have time to make more content. So the next time you come back and yes. have a conversation with Elgin or others, um, you know, we can immediately put that up into our museum and, and have that, uh, that rich content, content available. Yeah. So a lot of flexibility. Um, I, I, I wish, uh, well, next, next summer will be a different story, I hope, and, and we'll really have our, our grand opening then, I guess. Absolutely. Look forward well, to it. John, it sounds like a big part of your job as president and CEO of the Hall of Fame is learning to adapt not only to technology and updating the museum and to the times, but also just this year alone, what was going to be a huge year for the hall, all the challenges that have been presented along the way. What have you learned over these past seven or eight months about adapting to the times uh, that maybe you you didn't know about yourself or about the job in your 19, 20 years prior at the hall? Yeah, well, um, as Ralph knows, I'm more of a business person than I am a, a, a basketball guy. I'm five foot nine. And so uh, let's just say I always look up to Ralph. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I think that's been a key to um, a lot of different periods in the Hall of Fame. I've been here 21 years and and um, we've had probably two or three bouts with some financial issues, you know, 2008, 2009, of course, and then this COVID thing and really coming out of the box in 2002, we were undercapitalized. So um, we've kind of been doing hand-to-hand, you know, combat uh, a couple times before. Uh, I think we, you know, we've got a great staff, uh, uh, very experienced staff. Um, I'm happy to say that we have, we've weathered with the, with, with some significant and debilitating, not debilitating, but very difficult changes uh, with some people here. Um, but I think we've got the right staff to make it through and the right, right feel about that. And, you know, COVID, we, we still have our new museum. We're still going to have our game in London in 2022. We're still going to have our, our enshrinement for 2020, but it's going to be in May. So we still have these things to look forward to. Um, I think you just, you know, you got to be prepared. You got to be agile. You got to, 
you know, you got to be able to pivot and all the things that uh, that Ralph was able to do in his career. You kind of got to do that as a as a CEO of a museum or wherever else it might be. Well, I see. So for me, I mean, knowing you now since probably 2012 or so, uh, obviously Fran is the I think the, the godmother of the of the ship up there. She, she's always been amazing. She's uh, always on point. But I, I see it from a different perspective, being a Hall of Famer. But also now being associated with you guys for years as your passion. I mean, five foot nine point guard, you could have passed the ball probably. Yeah. Um, you know, Muggsy Bogue style. But for me, what drives you? What's your passion about the Hall of Fame? Because you've seen it from, you know, nothing to something. And I yeah. know Jerry Clanjo is big. I, I text him all the time just to check, see how he's doing. But I know that relationship is huge for the Hall of Fame as well. But it's changed over the years from, you know, 20 years ago to now. What are those big changes and what is your passion for it? Because it's, it's definitely evident that you have it. Well, thank you. So, uh, first of all, my favorite basketball saying for myself is I may be short, but I'm slow. Right? <laughs> um, you mentioned you mentioned Fran. Fran Judkins um, is our VP of professional relations, uh, does all of the work with the Hall of Famers. Uh, she's I call her Mama Bear. Um, yes, she yes. is. Um, she takes care of you folks. And if anybody tries to get near you, um, she'll scratch their eyes out. Um, but you know, it's so very important. I think when I, I go back to the year 2000, when I joined 1999, late in the year, um, the fact of the matter is, is that the hall of fame didn't really have a relationship with hall of famers. We were a small institution. We were tremendously undercapitalized. Um, and we were, believe it or not, uh, undertaking the building of a new museum. And, and when I got here, I tried to take inventory of what do we have, what, what positive things do we have. And I remember, so the class of 1999, um, I think we had a class of three that year. And then we, we always invited uh, existing Hall of Famers, past Hall of Famers back. Um, and we had five that said yes. Um, and three of them um, were over 80 and had to cancel because they, were, they just had some health issues. We didn't pay their way back to come back to Springfield once a year. We didn't put them up in a hotel. I think we might have given them a fairly um, inadequate meal, but there was nothing to look forward to. Mm -hmm. And so what we had to do was, you know, the, the building, our new building could have burned down, but the one thing that stands is the Hall of Famers. Yes. And there, you know, there are soldiers out there. They're the people that have the stories, they're the living history. So I think the first thing we did without a lot of gas in the gas tank is really relate to the Hall of Famers. Um, and have a relationship with them and show them that the Hall of Fame was interested. We want to have you back. We want you to have, have you know, be part of the family. We referenced earlier when Hall of Famers get together here in Springfield, it seems like a reunion. Um, and uh, what's my favorite part, what drives me is, again, those stories. Mm -hmm. Listening to Hall of Famers, just, out, just standing a little bit outside the circle listening to the stories and the memories and some of the memories seem to be true. Some of the seem to be embellished, um, but hall of famers respect for each other, um, for lifting up each other, for challenging each other. I've seen um, hall of famers that probably hadn't spoken in years. All of a sudden the, uh, the barriers are broken down and they're back to being good friends because of their reunion at the hall of fame. So it's a living history. Um, it's a, obviously it's a wonderful job to have. I get to meet great people, um, but we're, you know, we're kind of customer service centric and our first customer is our hall of famers. We've been successful in um, you know, kind of bringing them back to Springfield. I think last year, Ralph, we probably had 55 or 60 returning hall of famers plus yep. the class. So that's a, that's a big difference than five um, back in 1999. And, and 
and Hall of Famers are enthusiastic and not only coming back to Springfield, but in the, in the non-COVID time, we would, we would do golf events. Uh, we have those collegiate basketball events that Hall of Famers are involved in. And, um, you know, they're, they're wonderful to have at these events. They add so much value to people that are literally shelling out money to support the Hall of Fame. Um, and it's, it's, they're so dependable. And I can't say there's anybody more dependable than, than Ralph. Well, I know with Fran there and then being very prideful to be a Hall of Famer, I think you carry that, that, that badge of honor, you know, on your, on your sleeve. So when Fran calls and I need you to be here, be there, then it was been very special for me to show up and participate. But, you know, the, the name Hall of Famer on your name is special, but to build relationships with not only John and Fran and everybody at the Hall of Fame, but also players. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, there's players that we went at each other, right? Uh, on the court and we hated each other but mm -hmm. I mean Maurice Lucas was one of them uh, he would punch me in the chest every time I played against him but when I saw him at the Hall of Fame or events he said that's the way I played he was the sweetest guy ever right so I commend because the first night of the Hall of Fame is family reunion night correct right and that's a special night it's almost like a family reunion you see everybody yeah. everybody comes and you got people flying in with their own jets now and I mean it's kind of crazy it's, it's a big event it's really a big event well, yeah, it's great. Ralph, I have a question for you. I mean, I've, I've worked with you for several years now, and I often hear people refer to you as Basketball Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. It becomes almost your title. What does it mean to you to be a Hall of Famer? Well, just, I just said, I mean, it's, it's like the highest honor you could have. I mean, my trophy is in my parents' house, so I don't get to have it myself. It sits on a mantle in my trophy, well, my mother's trophy, my father's trophy case, and she's very proudful of that trophy. It's the spear. I mean, I have, you know, mm -hmm. Player of the Year awards and I mean, all kinds of stuff in her house, but that one takes precedent uh, mm -hmm. because she's always heard about it, you know, at, in Hall of Fame this and Hall of Fame that. But uh, ironically, she did not come to my induction. She, she was so, you know, emotionally, she said she couldn't make it. She saw it on television. My high school coach came, my college coach came, my, my sisters and family came. But my mother and father, you know, didn't want to travel. One, because for her, she didn't like to fly and I would I had to drive her up. But she watches it on television and she watches the tape of it all the time. Because mm. when I was in, you know, John, if you remember that I was inducted, I brought my two sons up with me because you have to have somebody bring you into the Hall of Fame. So I had Kareem, Julius, and Charles Barkley. And I wanted uh, Bill Russell, but real, Bill was unable to make it. But I brought my sons up and I said, well, this is a great God's night. And then the, um, the, I think they were getting the bread that some ladies team was being inducted as well. And they booed me off, kind of off the stage a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the stories, as John's alluding to, the special relationships, Hall of Fame was a great title, but to be in that group of people was very special. Yeah. John, what makes a Hall of Famer? Well, I mean, um, you know, it's quantitative and it's qualitative, right? So, we could, uh, I guess, we could take, if it was totally quantitative, we would uh, just dump numbers in a computer and the computer would spit out who a Hall of Famer is. But you really look at the breadth of, of this person's impact in basketball. You look at uh, their, you know, their high school career of salient. You look at their college career. You look at their pro career. And I think the voters uh, would be kidding themselves if they didn't see what, what the player did even after they played and how they impacted basketball. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a well-rounded look at, um, you know, what this person's contribution to the game is. This is a place 
you know, and, and Ralph doesn't want to think about this and I don't want to think about it either, but Hall of Famers live forever here. So when um, a basketball great passes, that, that's not the end of the story. The story lives here and in fact now lives in, in a much better way. So, um, you know, there, there's, we have a, a process that we go through. It, it involves committees. Uh, it involves people that know specifically the areas that we're talking about. So the women would have their separate committee and early African-Americans would have a separate committee that, that really are well studied on, on that period of time. And the North American committee that Ralph came through, uh, the men's game, um, you know, has a very great understanding. And, and um, it, it's, it's primarily what happens on court, but I think it also uh, is a, you know, has an impact on, on a little bit of the off court because basketball transcends society, right? It's, it's such an influencer. We're seeing that today, like yes. never before. Mm, yeah. And so um, Hall of Famers, accomplishments, numbers, championships, um, but also Hall of Fame personalities and, char- and character. Mm-hmm. When you say, kind of touching on that as well, you're seeing what's happening in, in NBA today. I mean, in sports today in general across the board, not only NBA, but college and professional and high school as well. What is the impact going to be? I mean, how does how the Hall of Fame readjust or what things are you doing from the Hall of Fame perspective? I know the NBA are meeting, you know, and they're trying to figure it out as well, but they've done a, a great job as far as getting the game back to where people yeah. can view it. But how does that affect the Hall of Fame? And are you guys looking at anything that will affect any change in the Hall of Fame with everything that's going on in the world today? Yeah, so we actually, uh, you know, we've established a, a committee um, taking this very seriously. And I, I think, you know, we're not a great, a great big organization with deep pockets. So I think about uh, George Raveling's on this committee, you know, Coach Raveling. Right. Uh, and he's always so right on about things. He, he says, as we do this, um, the impact we're going to have we are creating a contract with society. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can do one thing and then check the box, right? So we're going to take some time and look at what, what's authentic for the Hall of Fame to do and what's sustainable for the Hall of Fame to do. And what we have kind of in our quiver is we have the history of the game. I think about the history, um, E.B. Henderson, Dr. Henderson, um, early African-American pioneer, was from Washington and uh, befriended Dr. Naismith back right around the turn of the of the 20th century, and he, he learned about the game of basketball somewhere, and he came to Dr. Naismith, and I think this is the understatement of the, of the millennium, but he said, it seems, Dr. Naismith, this game is well-suited for young African-American men to play. And um, E.B. Henderson did that not because, um, you know, he, he just thought African-American men could compete. He saw it as a way for African-American men to assimilate into the white culture on an equal basis back in the 1900s, 1910s, 1920s. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, that is, that's the kind of history that this game has. And I think that's something that's very authentic for us that we have to bring forward and allow people to have their own dialogue. I'm not sure with the resources that we have, we're going to solve a lot of problems, Ralph, but I think we're going to educate people on um, how basketball has moved through time. Uh, and some of these nuggets of information, which I hope will will foster um, dialogue and and discussion, and and you know uh, things aren't always the way they seem today. It, it was a very difficult time, so that's kind of what we're focused on. Uh, we we do want to focus also on Springfield, um, Mass, because 
Um, I will, as I've said before to, to many people and anybody who will listen, the exact location where basketball was invented is, is in one of the poorest neighborhoods, predominantly African-American in all of Massachusetts. So what, what can the Hall of Fame and what can the game of basketball do to impact that community? And so that's kind of a, a localized, but really an international kind of focus on what do you do to give back to Dr. Naismith? What you can do right now is, is, is uh, reach out and um, provide opportunities. Uh, you know, whether we have a, a center for uh, sport and right, racial right. studies, or we build a computer lab for the kids to do that. That's, that's kind of on our docket as well. So um, that's, that's kind of what we're thinking. Um, but we are, as, as, uh, as Coach Raveling says, you know, you have a contract with society. So we're going we're gonna to do it slowly, methodically, not, not a long, long time, but we want to make sure it's sustainable. Well, two points. Coach Raveling, actually, uh, I love talking to him. He just a wealth of information. He actually has the Martin Luther King I Have a Dream speech, the original yeah. one in his archive. So he talks about it, and he's amazing. Maybe we'll get him on here as well one of these days. But he'd be great. Yeah, he's amazing, amazing. I love coming just to the Hall of Fame and talking to him and seeing him and, and saying hello. I call him every now and then as well. He and one of my good friends, our best friends. I always tell people, like Coach Raveling and some people we had on this podcast, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, no one knows. You see it on the NBA today, and they are doing stuff, but no one has a clue of what to do. So you, are, you can boycott, you can march, you can movement, you can do all these things, but there are specific things you do. No one knows what that is. And I think the dialogue, even from my perspective in the African-American population, sometimes we compete against each other and we don't compete together. Mm -hmm. I'll tell the magic and Michael, why don't you guys band together and compete together because we would be so much more powerful. And you know it is, you know, because it's sometimes hard to get those guys to come to the Hall of Fame because of their schedule and their busy. But they they do show up when they, when they have to. But how can we get them together? It's kind of my vision of that. I think the Hall of Fame is part of that as well because you guys are so good at what you do in these golf tournaments and stuff like that. So maybe there's some outreach there, but I'd be glad to support that in any way I can for sure. But no, I think I think you're right. So. So it's, um, it's not necessarily uh, my Hall of Fame, it's your Hall of Fame, right? You're mm -hmm. a Hall of Famer. So there's a platform there um, where Hall of Famers who, who want to come together under the auspices of the Hall of Fame, you talk about playing on a bigger team. So, right. so getting all those folks together um, is something that, you know, it, it, it's, um, it is difficult to, to mm -hmm. uh, get everybody on board, but I think, um, you know, I'd love to work with you and others to, to see if we can build some sort of coalition, if you will, to to utilize the Hall of Fame uh, as the platform for Hall of Famers to right. have a have a message that is that is helpful and and can help see us through. Absolutely. We'll definitely talk about it after. It's great, well, great. Basketball definitely brings people together, this game, and the Hall of Fame brings people together as well. And this week, as you mentioned, everyone would have been together for the induction ceremonies. You had the difficult decision of waiting to see if maybe you would push it to the fall and then ultimately moved it to May of next year of 2021. Uh, and it's going to take place at Mohegan Sun for the first time, as opposed to at the Hall of Fame in Springfield. I'm curious just what went into the thought process behind that, that decision, um, and also to keep it as two separate classes, the class of 2020 and the class of 2021. Sure. Well, let me address the second question first. So the, the enshrinement ceremony beyond um, a big celebration of the best of the best in the game 
uh, is our largest fundraiser. We're a 501c3 museum. Um, and uh, the, the admissions that we have to the museum, like most museums, frankly, don't cover the cost of having a museum. Mm, right. So we have to have many events. Ralph mentioned golf tournaments. I mentioned uh, collegiate basketball tournaments and enshrinement is our, is our largest one. Um, so we didn't necessarily want to combine the two classes, 20 and 21, for that reason, as well as I think each class deserves to have its own time in the sun. Um, so that it's, it's not overshadowed. We're not going to delay a year. We're, we're not going to say to Paul Pierce that you, you're going to have to wait another year to be eligible. You're eligible now by our rules. So that would be the class of 2021. So um, we want to make sure each class had its, its recognition. Uh, and also there's a financial reason um, for that. So, and, and Mohegan Sun, the, the simple answer is in the COVID period, um, we are looking at a bubble. We are, you know, in Springfield, we've got uh, beautiful facilities, Symphony Hall, an old Symphony Hall that I know the seats are too small for Ralph. Yeah, yes, it, it dresses out very nicely. Uh, you know, it looks like it's in a huge city and, and it's, it's a beautiful presentation. We have wonderful parties at the Hall of Fame. We utilize three or four or five hotels downtown. Um, but in the COVID era, you, you can't do that. You can't move people from building to building. You can't have five different hotels with five different sets of, of staff, because what you're trying to do ultimately is you're trying to reduce um, the amount of exposure. So uh, for this year only, and I want to emphasize that, that there, there are people locally that feel that we're trying to do a sleight of hand here, but um, I have to remind them that we're in the COVID era. Uh, we are looking at pretty much what the NBA has done down in Orlando, which is to build a bubble, which means People will arrive um, either commercially or privately uh, in Connecticut. We will provide um, rides individually, no buses. Um, so if your party, Ralph, is of three people, we'll pick up three. If it's of six people, we'll pick up six in one car and we'll go. We're not going to gang you all together. You will be, um, you'll take a temperature before you get into the car. Uh, you will have a separate entrance uh, to the facility. You will be temperature checked again. You will have the opportunity to be COVID checked, fast, fast checked. We'll have you sit aside if you do and until you're clear. We will have a, uh, a, a uh, humanless check-in, if you will. We will have uh, corridors reserved for our guests. We have uh, elevators reserved for our guests. We have uh, rooms uh, on a certain number of, of uh, hotel floors reserved just for our guests. We have back of the house, which means Ralph knows this. So you don't you don't walk out front where all the pretty stuff is. You walk through the kitchen and, right, right, and right. all that kind of stuff. But it limits exposure. Um, we've even got people that people that are they're waiting on us uh, for, for serving our parties. Um, any service people will be sleeping in the bubble at Mohegan Sun. So. Um, well, it's not a hundred percent bubble like the NBA has done. It is a, it is a safe environment. We feel that our guests, um, that are necessary for our guests and, and Mohegan Sun has been a partner. And I think we're fortunate that they have stepped forward and said, we can do this for you. Um, and, uh, so it's a, you know, assuming COVID is, uh, is, is over next year, this is a one-time, um, and Mohegan Sun certainly understands that a one-time solution to a worldwide pandemic problem. Wow. Well, you know, it's, it's one time, but it's, you know, as you alluded to in the beginning of this uh, interview is it would have been one of the biggest inductions in the Hall of Fame history with Colby and and, and yes, Duncan and Garnett, whatever. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I'm happy I get to go to two inductions next year. So <laughs> that's right. Once at the point, you can sell right. one back at the Hall of Fame. But that's save up your a, appetite. Yeah. That'll be <laughs> fun. Um, trust me. It, uh, 
know, the last one, a couple of that, they had the food is great. The, the Mohegan Sun is wonderful. You know, I, I would always tell a friend, like, we get there like a Saturday night and we only stay till Sunday morning. Like, I need another day at the Mohegan Sun because it's a great place to uh, just hang out and visit and enjoy just, you know, the atmosphere with the Hall of Famers and a different lower key atmosphere. So I get to go to two next year, Jason. So yeah, we'll have to I'm figure jealous. it out. I'm jealous. Well, it, John, it's amazing all the details that you've already thought through, given that this is not going to be until May 13th through the 15th of 2021. But even what elevators people are taking, the attention to detail uh, it sounds like hopefully will will lead to success. Can you give us any sort of preview as to some of the things <laughs> planned uh, uh, in tribute of Kobe Bryant? Because obviously... The whole world will be watching even more than than they normally would be. Yeah, I don't have uh, great details on that. I know that there will be tributes um, from several constituents uh, for Kobe. Um, now we're being respectful uh, with Mrs. Bryant. She's been she's been wonderful, um, but um, we're being respectful of her time. And with this these these timelines dragging out, unfortunately, we haven't pressed, if mm -hmm. you will until that time is, has been established. So I would imagine after the first of the year, I, I know the NBA, I know the Lakers will want to, I know that players will want to. So it's, it will be, um, you know, a, a, a very wonderful fitting tribute um, to Kobe. I wish as everyone does that he was here to enjoy his own induction. I know he was excited. Fran, Ralph Fran went to see him. Oh, wow. And you know, Fran, she, she went to see him in like October um, when he was uh, first eligible, and uh, Fran said, "Now, if you're lucky enough to get elected, <laughs> that's Fran. That would <laughs> because, be Fran. Yeah, because she she, she, thought she had to say that, but Kobe just looked at her and smiled. But yeah, um, yeah it's it's going to be a, a melancholy event, um, yeah. pretty much. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a, it's it will be a it'll be a wonderful event, but just very melancholy. Definitely bittersweet, but uh, an amazing way to pay tribute to uh, not just the great player that Kobe Bryant was, but the man that he was as well, that, that we all miss so dearly. Uh, That's right. The induction ceremonies every year provide so many amazing moments. You've spoken about, touched on a few of them and, and great speeches. Uh, you've had a front row seat, obviously, to all so many of them over the last 20 plus years. Are there a few moments that stand out amongst the rest to you as maybe you hold the most dearly from all of the induction ceremonies? Yeah, that's like asking me who's my favorite child. <laughs> Which I you try know, to ask um, all of our guests too. That, I mean, well, well, you know, it's, it's um, again, how great is it to have my job, which is able to sit there and listen either outside the circle or see these speeches and the family members and the Hall of Famers that are supporting these people each and every one is so very important and enjoyable. Um, and, you know, one thing we haven't touched on is we represent the entire game. So we do men and women. Uh, we do high school, college, pro. So uh, there's, there's a wide swath of people that are, that are enshrined into the Hall of Fame. And the thing that strikes me the most and I enjoy the most, um, and now it's becoming predictable, but it's enjoyable, is, is that almost everyone goes back and mentions their high school coach. Um, and how important that individual was about keeping uh, this new Hall of Famer, um, you know, keep, keeping the grades up, keeping out of trouble, um, sometimes putting their arm around the person and, and, and making sure that they got a meal um, and, and were, had a safe ride home and that kind of stuff. And, and invariably the parents and grandparents, but that high school coach seems to always come through as um, that 
that pivot person um, in in the, in, the, in that point. And then that you know the speeches are all about um, this is what I've been told. But it's all the emotions come pouring back as soon as you know you're a Hall of Famer because now you got to think about what how did I get here, right? <laughs> and so Ralph, you can attest to that. Again, yes. So I mean, when, when, when John called, so you, you know, you get a call, right? And I, I was on both sides. So my, my first year eligible, my first year of, of getting nominated, uh, I get a call from John and, you know, you didn't make it maybe next year. And then the next year he calls you and you, you get in. So that moment is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you will remember it. Like everybody remembers where you were. Actually, it's not elevated as Kobe Bryant, but I remember where I was when that call came. And how I felt and what I reflected on. And I went straight back. I was in my parents' house in the foyer of the house, getting ready to walk up the steps when the call came. And I just told my mother, she said, Oh, okay. And then she realized what that meant, right? And then we just start talking about all kinds of stuff from high school coach to, you know, playing. I played in the Armory League where you can only score 16 points a game on an eight foot basket. I was six foot four. <laughs> so, you know, so it didn't, it didn't work, you know, well, and I scored, eight, you know, 16 points in the first quarter and couldn't score anymore. So I hated basketball. So you reflect yeah. back to all those moments yeah. and you say, you know, I kind of have arrived to the point where now I'm a hall of famer. Now, what does that mean? Then you worry about your speech. <laughs> you worry about mm -hmm. what you want to say because you don't want to leave anybody out. Mm -hmm. And Fran helps out with that as well. So John is right on just the emotions that, you know, hall of famers have. And I'm sure, Kobe and the rest of them have it as well, because it's one of those things that it's a rare honor to have. Wow. Yeah. You referenced that day of the calls. I'd, I like to say that that's the, that's the greatest day of my, my uh, professional career every year and the worst, because I do have, I got yes. the honor of calling those that were elected. And, and um, unfortunately I have to let those know that they weren't elected, that they remain eligible, but they haven't been elected to the hall of fame. Right, right. So um, it's, it's, it's a day of highs and lows. Um, wow. But, you know, but the Joe O'Brien, who had my job prior to me, mm -hmm. coach at Assumption College and former president of the NABC, he, he said uh, one thing which I never forgot, which is, uh, John, the cream always rises to the top. <laughs> yeah. It may not it may not do it right away, but the cream will always rise to the top. And I think uh, he's right on. So that's the thought. Someone asked me this question once before. Has there ever been someone who's been nominated maybe multiple times that never made it into the Hall of Fame? Yes. Do I need to say names? <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't have to. But I'm just, you know, that's, that's totally up to you. You know, you, you can call them out, you know. Call them right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would prefer not to. Yes. No, I, I would prefer not to. But let me let me um, give it give a, uh, you know, an example of someone that did um, and unfortunately passed away a few months ago. But Eddie Sutton was on the ballot yeah, for a long yeah. time. Yep. And um, I would I would say, Ralph, for 20 years. Right. Um, and I think the clarity of time passing and and uh, other issues. Um, well, hey, the cream, the cream rose to the top. Yeah, did, right. Yeah. In yeah. that regard. Yeah, yeah. And Eddie Sutton was well, will be inducted this year. But he was he was uh, obviously aware uh, and healthy enough to understand and had a conversation with his son. Oh, good. Um, so there there's a living example of of uh, uh, of that cream always rising to the top. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a great coach. He's a great wow, coach. well, John, you you have a lot of responsibility. You're a keeper of basketball history of this game, of obviously honoring Hall of Famers, bringing them together, all of the memorabilia, the artifacts, the the history that makes up this sport that we love so much that transcends barriers, brings people together. Uh, as you walk through the Hall of Fame and and you see all the memorabilia. Are there a few favorite exhibits or or maybe 
one of your favorite pieces of memorabilia, something that means something more to you? Well, you know, uh, now we have a new museum. So what's fantastic is that I'm seeing all new stuff every time I go through. So I haven't seen, I've, been, I've seen everything, but I haven't I've taken time to dwell uh, on everything. So it's really like learning. Um, it's, like a, it's like my first month on the job, right? Yeah. Going out to the, to the museum and, and seeing all these great things. I know our, our visitors love to do the, even, even the easy interactive. So if we'll have a wingspan mm -hmm. or we, we have a beautiful exhibit about hand size, compare your hand size to players, but obviously they can't touch that. I mean, those are all very cool, but, but um, you know, taking time just to go through and, and the way we've, my curator, not me, the way that our curator has done this and our design team, um, you know, everything is remarkable. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to have the, uh, the O'Brien trophy out where people can, can, uh, can uh, hold that up and have a picture with it. That's cool. We're going to have a TNT inside the NBA. Um, you make the call kind of set up. Mm. We've got a tribute to uh, Kobe with video and, and, and Kobe memorabilia. Um, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just really cool. Yeah. Um, just to make sure I, you haven't given away Artist Gilmore's long fur coat. No, no, <laughs> no, I haven't. That is, uh, that was a lot of whatever, whatever fur that was. Whatever that was it was, of, I don't know what it was. A lot yeah. of those animals. I don't know if it was raccoon or what it was. Yeah, it was something, yeah. If it was raccoon, it had to be uh, probably three generations. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's <laughs> a big coat. It was a huge coat. I tell artists all the time, like, man, how'd you, I mean, Chicago, we had to wear something big, but that, when yeah. you walk in there, you see this coat in this in this cabinet. It's kind of amazing to watch. Yeah. It, but no, we haven't given that away. That's out there. That's well, John, you said one. you said you're short and and slow, but basketball has meant a lot to you and your career. Obviously, you've been at the Hall for over 20 years, and before that, you were a vice president at Spalding, which is right the the ball, the official game ball. Um, I have two part question. First, with that, I'm curious, you know, the, the NBA just announced that starting in a season, Wilson will become the official basketball again. And I know that your career, you know, a lot of it really started at Spalding, helping them grow. And as the official basketball of the NBA since 1983, I, I want to know how you feel about that. You must yeah. still have strong feelings about the Spalding brand and, yeah, and it being the official ball. And, and then the second part is just, to speak on what the game of basketball means to you. I mean, it has uh, become a big part of your identity, what you do for a living and a lot of the responsibility on your shoulders revolves sure. around this basketball. Yeah. Well, uh, Wilson taking over the uh, NBA ball is kind of the final dagger in my heart. Um, <laughs> but uh, I actually joined Spalding in 1985. They had just taken the wow. NBA ball away from Wilson. Yeah. So um, had a had, a, had a great start to my career helping the organization grow. Our market share at one point was fifty five percent, and it was it was wonderful. I was the VP of the inflated division, which of course is anything that contains air footballs, volleyballs, soccer balls, mm. basketballs. Um, and I remember going to NBA properties back in nineteen eighty five, and I think the NBA office was all of about seventeen people. And now they probably have 17 floors, um, but it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was a family that was growing together and, and um, you know, get, cutting my teeth at Spalding, getting the business experience, which is important here. Um, it was, was, uh, was terrific and um, able to stay in the, in the business despite my height. Um, it was a joy. Right. Jump shot. Yeah. You know, what does basketball mean to me? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a local guy. I grew up around the Springfield area. So the game was invented here that, that has uh, some impact on me. 
Uh, my dad was a great uh, five foot nine point guard, Ralph, way back in, in the sure. 1940s. And I always think that, you know, what would he, th- he passed very young, but what would he think if he knew I met Bob Cousy? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that is so, whoa, what does basketball mean to me? I mean, you know, you, you live through different lenses here and then I've got to meet so many great people and, and um, it's, it's basketball is a, is a universal global language. We all, we all know that. I mean, that's, it's kind of a cliche now, but um, once the basketball comes out on a court, you know, people, they, they can be competitive, right. yeah. but they're all working for the same, for the same goal and, and, and for the love of the game. So it's, uh, I can't imagine a better place to be. I mean, it's really the only sport that can, can do that, you know, football, you know, worldwide basketball's grown worldwide. I mean, I remember playing for Don Nelson and go to state yep. when he first brought in Martunis you know, to, to play and, and Lithuania coming to play as well. But, it's, you know, with him being who he is and what he's done, it's a worldwide sport and no other sport can, I think, compare to basketball. And, you know, you guys going over to Hall of Fame game overseas and NBA is trying to get overseas as well. But, you know, it's worldwide now, so it's huge. And what the guys are doing today with Milwaukee and the other NBA players, you know, at least making a stand, it shows how big it is. No, it's absolutely. it's a it's a huge platform and, and, and a platform for good. Yes, no, absolutely. Well, John, a final question we like to la- ask all of our guests is to give you an opportunity to pay homage to someone who uh, might have inspired you along the way, along your journey uh, to the success that you've achieved in your career. Maybe there was a mentor, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a colleague, maybe it was someone that you sure. never met, but you were uh, inspired from afar. Who would you like to pay homage to? Well, it's not going to be someone from afar, and Ralph knows what I'm going to say. It's going to be Jerry Colangelo. Um, We, uh, as an organization, I talked about us opening up in 2002, and we didn't have uh, much gas in the gas tank. In fact, the gas tank was empty. Uh, We didn't have a lot of friends in the Hall of Fame family. Uh, I can't say we had great friends in the NCAA or the NBA world at that point, because we were a small institution, probably at that point, trying to pretend to be a big institution, right? So... Um, we were looking for help, and I remember um, visiting Jerry Colangelo in 2003 um, out in the Phoenix Suns. He invited us down for a pregame meal, um, and uh, he was on the board in, in the 1980s, and um, his words, it, it was amateur hour, and he just kind of left. <laughs> and uh, we opened up the conversation, and, and we talked about what was going on at the hall, how we were struggling, um, how we, we had plans. We laid out the plans for him. And he's sitting there looking at me. He goes, well, where have you been? And I'm like, where have I been? He goes, yeah, no one's reached out to me since, since the mid-80s from the Hall of Fame. I said, well, I apologize for that. I said, sir, I'm here, and I need your help to, to help the organization. And we were talking some more. And I didn't know Jerry. I didn't, you know, I knew he was very successful. I knew he was, he was all basketball. Um, but he, he finished his meal, and he looked at me, and he goes, I'm in. And I didn't know what that meant, but Ralph, Ralph, <laughs> you we know do it now, now, don't we? You know it now. So, you know, you talk about elevating the Hall of Fame in the eyes of Hall of Famers and the NBA, Jerry Colangelo. You talk about fundraising, Jerry Colangelo. You talk about bringing authenticity and really giving us, um, you know, kind of enough rope to, to run with so that we could make this organization successful. It's Jerry Colangelo. Yeah, Jerry's, um, you know, I mean – I got to know him over the years through the Hall of Fame and, and prior to that as well. I mean, I was in Phoenix a lot of part of my career. But when Jerry says I'm all in, 
I'm sure, John, you didn't know what that meant, but soon you, you found out very quickly. And, and I'm still discovering. In, I'm still discovering what in. that means. Yeah, he's got yeah. two feet in it for sure. It's amazing yeah. what he can do. And we all, I mean, one of the special golf tournaments is Jerry Clangio's Golf Classic in Phoenix. I mean, that's just one of the best events because as a Hall of Fame, I could go there for three days, four days, go out to the resort, hang out, lay out. And I mean, I could recall Nancy Lieberman, Moses Malone, all of us that go, Rick Barry, go, we work out, we play tennis, we go play golf, and we can stay an extra day just to hang out with each other. So that event is amazing. So Jerry, Jerry is a one-of-a-kind guy and one of the best people I know as well. Yeah. And really, being 3,000 miles away, I mean, what, what you know, why did he want to get involved with the Basketball Hall of Fame? He was out there in Phoenix, but he loves the game. Yeah, the, game. If, if the thing he says when he was seven years old, he picked up a ball and smelled it and fell in love yeah, he, with the game. He definitely so loved those, it. Yeah, those words resonate. Absolutely. Yeah. John, thank you so much for spending some Absolutely. time with us. This has uh, been a trying year for all of us, and sure. uh, we have a lot to look forward to. I can't wait to go visit the Hall of Fame again to see the new renovations and can't wait for not one but two induction ceremonies That's in right. 2021. A lot to celebrate coming forward, and sure. uh, all basketball fans have uh, a lot to be thankful for with you at the helm of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield. Well, it's an honor to have this job. So um, I am humbled to be able to fill the role um, and appreciate being on your show. And and Ralph, I look forward to seeing you soon. Now, we'll talk soon. And uh, Jason, we'll do a podcast from the two, uh, May uh, Hall of Fame event and kind of do it at center court at the Hall of Fame because that's, uh, it's, I'm sure, special. And then we'll talk soon. So I appreciate your time and um, great, great talking to you. Tell Miss Fran I said hello. Facebook, I will Facebook, do that. Text and email all the time. But tell her I said hello. I will do that. I'll tell her you need another night at Mohegan Sun, too. I, I did do that. I tell her I need that. See if she, she likes that extra day to chill. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Be well. Be safe. Take care. Ralph, it was great talking with John just there. Do you remember? Tell me more about that phone call when he called you to say, Ralph Sampson, you are a Hall of Famer. Well, you know, the first year I was nominated, 2011, you know, it was you get excited mm -hmm. and you look at your career and you say, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm a Hall of Fame worthy. And you kind of evaluate yourself. And that year I got the call because I was nominated for two Hall of Fames in the same year. First person that was, you know, the College Hall of Fame and the Naismith Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, myself and Chris Mullen were the same I got the same honor, right? So he gets both. Oh, wow. And then I get one. I get the college. I'm like, okay, Chris Mullen got in, but I didn't. I mean, but, you know, different career, different story. Mm -hmm. So you get the call and like, no, you didn't make it. Maybe you're still eligible for the next year. So you're like, am I worthy? Did my career stand with? Then you got to let it go because <clears throat> it will haunt you year after year after year. I've known players, Charlie Scott, people that's got in late, left through the Zelle. No, I mean, what did I do between now and then? And he alluded to Coach Sutton as well. And then so the next year when I got it, you'd be like, I made it. And then so you got to just stand there and enjoy that moment, which I did with my family. And it was very, very special to just understand kind of what that means. You don't really know what it means until you get there and look up and you see every player in there is three, four hundred people that are in there. Very, very elite club, you know, from, you know, Oscar Robertson to Elgin Baylor you know, the Bob Cousy's of the world. And you look up and your picture will be there forever. So my kids, kids, kids will be able to see that forever. So it's a very special moment.
It's it's incredible. It, it does live on forever. The Hall of Fame is forever. Hall of Famers live on forever. Their legacy does. That's a very special thing. Uh, well, I, it's, it's great. Yeah. It's a special deal, yeah, for sure. I've watched your speech, and it's a great speech. And you mentioned in the interview saying, you know, oh, man, you start thinking about the speech. Were you nervous going into that? Because the eyes of the basketball world are on you front and center alone in that moment. You're, you have your son standing beside you. You've got, you know, other hall of famers standing with you. Uh, what, what was that like preparing for and delivering that speech? It's nothing, it's nothing you can prepare for. They give you 15 minutes or eight, whatever. It's a clock on the oh. end of the thing that you got to watch out. And Fran is like very, very animate. You can't go over the minutes, can't go. But everybody goes on minutes. I don't yeah. care who you are. You're going to go over. Nobody's given minutes. So I said to Don Nelson, I said there was a trade. I got some of his minutes because he, he went under. So I got his <laughs> minutes. So I got 20 minutes. But you will go over the minutes no matter what. And what you're going to do, even if you write the speech or or, or think you got everybody in, you're going to miss somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it gets emotional. It's just totally different kind of what happens with that to make it work. So you get up there, you talk about it, and you're trying to make sure you say hello to everybody and respect everybody and you just got to say so because they're going to get you off the stage one way or another because you ain't got limited time. But to stand there for me with Kareem, Julius, Charles, and the best ever Bill Russell that should have been there, but he, he not feeling well that day was very, very special for me. And to be up there with my son was even more special because they'll remember that moment forever. Absolutely. It's very special. And it's great that it lives on uh, on the Basketball Hall of Fame's YouTube channel. You can see all the induction ceremonies, all the induction yeah, speeches. Absolutely. There's some legendary ones that people still reference and talk about on a daily basis. And I cannot wait for the 2020 induction, which will take place in May of two, 2021. Two inductions. Yes. Yeah. And, then, and then the 2021 class, which likely will be headlined by Paul Pierce, as uh, John mentioned. He'll be eligible. He gave a little bit of, you know, gave a little bit to us, right? A little sneak peek there, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) One of uh, the members of that class. So uh, it's really, it was special getting to talk with John. You don't often hear uh, the face behind the Hall of Fame. You know about the Basketball Hall of Fame, but the person who is dedicated to keeping it alive and well and running and all the challenges they faced in in this year with uh, with COVID and and everything else that they're dealing with and how yeah, they're adapting. Uh, it was it was a very interesting insight into that. Well, I'm sure it's going to be exciting. I haven't seen it. I can't wait to see the new renovations to the Hall of Fame. Fent out there, it's a great place to go just to spend a weekend and just enjoy basketball and see the building and visit the town. They got a great MGM hotel there now. Mm. And um, it's, it's a wonderful little vacation for people to go see. So I look forward to going there again as well, but look forward to everybody out there visiting the Hall of Fame. I look forward to going anywhere these days. I, I can't wait till we can travel again, Ralph. That sounds fun. Let's get there in May. Let's uh, we'll do a podcast from there. Uh, Somewhere I, we, we'll be there next year. We'll okay, I can't sure. wait. I can't wait. I'm I'm itching. I got that travel bug. Well, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Center Court. Really appreciate you joining us. We've got some more great guests lined up, so be sure to tune in. A new episode drops every Tuesday wherever you download your podcasts, and be sure to. Leave us a review and a five-star rating. We appreciate all the kind words that are coming in and all the feedback as well. So thank you for listening, writing, reviewing, and being a fan. Hey, Jason, thank you as well. And all you got out there, stay tuned. Stay tuned for more. Follow us at Center Court 50, Ralph Sampson 50. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. You can follow me at Jay-Z Fish. And we'll see you next week on another edition of Center Court.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.